Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. Hello to all of you good humans out there and welcome to episode number 57 of Good Humans Guest Episodes. If you're new here, a very warm welcome. This is a podcast where I chat to incredible people about their journeys, what they've learned, and pretty much every episode I get inspired to make some positive changes in my life. So hopefully you do as well. If you enjoy this episode, please give us five stars, share it around with your friends on your Instagram, and yeah, leave us a review and hit subscribe and follow. So thanks for tuning in. Today's episode, Afia Salter. Afia is such a beautiful young woman. She's Got a story that's so incredible. Her resilience throughout her childhood, growing up as a young black girl in Scotland as an orphan and through foster care, she just has such a unique story and her resilience and the strength she's shown is just really powerful to listen to. I learned so much about the foster care system. Um, Yeah, and then also her experience leaving Scotland and moving over to Australia and starting a new life basically is yeah it's something that fascinated me and it's a journey that's really incredible and then to move on to be a manifestation coach and be sharing her journey and using it as a positive is just something that I believe to be really special so I really enjoyed this chat so let's jump straight into it welcome to Good Humans podcast Afia Salter. How you going Afia? I'm good thank you how are you? Yeah, I'm really well. A little bit tired. It's been a busy week, but extremely excited to chat to you and learn a bit more about your story. So the first question I open Good Humans podcast with is, what are you grateful for? Uh, Today, you know what? I thought of this as soon as I woke up is that I had a really good sleep yesterday. I've not been sleeping super well because I've had a dry cough that keeps me awake because I'm coughing. And last night was the first night the past four days I slept properly and when I woke up this morning I was like seize the day because I'm such a morning person but lately I've been getting up so late or sleeping in the afternoon so this feels amazing for me. I love that that's such a nice one to be grateful for it's funny it's one of those things that you take for granted like when you're sick you're like oh my god I wish I or like when you have a blocked nose and you're like I forgot what it was like to breathe nicely through my nose. yeah it's it's like you really learn to like appreciate the little things like even deep breathing I couldn't properly take deep breaths I'm like how are we supposed to meditate like this Mm, I love that um so yeah let's get to know your story maybe to firstly start maybe tell the listeners who you are and what you do so hi I'm Afia I am a mindset and manifestation coach and my work centers around helping people to manifest their extraordinary lives to stop playing small but also to give themselves permission to go after what they truly want. And when I first started my coaching business, a lot of people would come to me saying like, oh, well, I'm not even sure if I know what I want. But it quickly became apparent that the majority of the people that I work with 
knew what they wanted, but wouldn't give themselves permission to actually do it. And I also saw that reflected at so many points within my own journey. So I think it's always interesting how the work you do parallels with the people that you meet as well. Oh, I, I, it's so cool that you say that because I feel a lot of parallels with my work that I do around mental health is all of these skills that I teach are paramount for my own good mental health. And I just get to share it with people. And yeah, like you said, showing this parallel to like our own life with our business. I, I see a lot of similarities in that, but you've obviously got a bit of an accent. So I'm excited to get to know the story and where it all came from. So let's rewind back to childhood. Where'd you grow up? What was your life like as a kid? Let's call in your sort of years before you were a teenager. So it's funny that you bring up the accent because no one could determine it. So many people now are saying that I sound Australian. I'm like, do I? But I think it's because I've like started like dropping the hard sounds. And when I like pronounce my T's, pronounce my R's, I do actually sound like I'm from Scotland, which is where I'm from. So I was actually born in London, but I was in foster care until I was aged three. Um, and it was at that point later on that I moved to Scotland with my adoptive parents. So I've been in and out of the care system essentially since I was born. And at first it was something like I didn't really feel that different from everyone else, especially, you know, growing up in Scotland and having my mom. But the older that I got, I did begin to feel differences being a black girl growing up in Scotland in a very, very rural area. So I went to school with 10 other kids, obviously out of the 10 other kids, you're, the, the probability is that there's going to be another person of color is pretty low. And even going into high school, my sister and I were the only ones there. And then also when I was 14, my mom passed away after four years of fighting with cancer and you know, had really rapidly deteriorated over those four years. So from 10 to 14, I grew up incredibly quickly. And yeah, it was definitely a challenging period of my life. But also at the time when I was 14, I didn't really know how to handle grief. I didn't know what mental illness was. So rather than thinking like, oh, this is something that I need to address, Actually, it was something that I was just like, I need to, whatever these feelings are, I need to push them down because if I let myself experience them, then how am I going to get through school? How am I going to get through life? How am I going to make something of myself? Like, how am I going to survive in the world? And really put a lot of pressure on myself at a very young age. Oh, it sounds like you've had an incredibly tough upbringing, but I'm sure you're probably going to, as we speak through this, say it's shaped you to be who you are today because you look like such a happy and positive person. But yeah, what was it like when your mum did pass away at 14? How difficult was that for you to deal with? And what was that next stage who took care of you when you were in those those later teen years? Um, it was definitely a period of shock because although she was ill for, sorry, I feel like I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> okay, it's fine for now. Um, yeah, it was definitely a period of shock because when someone is ill for a really long period of time, it's just the story is just like, oh, my mom's ill and that's, that's just the way things are. You don't actually expect that person to pass away, even though maybe adults around us could see the situation was getting bad and we would have social workers come in and check on us and our gran was living with us at that point because my mom was in hospital a lot of the time. And so while my friends at school were doing like normal things, like going for sleepovers with their friends, we would come home from school on a Friday, run back up to our house, 
get changed and then quickly run back down to get the bus and two buses actually to go to the hospital which was like two hours away and then spend the weekend sleeping over there come back go to school and then my sister and I would take it in turns to do it that way and that just became the way that we lived our lives so when my mom passed away it was like oh I in a way I didn't actually think that this could happen and I remember uh, at that age although less now I think I'm a lot more open now but at that age like I didn't really share that much with my friends like they didn't know like how much I was struggling how much pressure was on myself I also felt like the responsibility of like looking after my mom as well like feeding into that role and I had so much on my shoulders but I also wanted to just be like everyone else like I just wanted to be like a normal kid so I didn't share this with my friends because I didn't want to separate myself from them so when my mom did pass away like my instant thought wasn't like I need to talk to a friend about this I actually phoned one of my friend's mom and I was just like told her what happened I was like I just don't know what to do and she came over and it was kind of a blur after that but what our one of our main concerns was obviously it's devastating our mom passing away but she was a single parent she had adopted us so that looked like us going back into the care system and my friend's mom didn't want that for us so she actually ended up moving in with us until my sister and I went to uni moved her two kids in with us and yeah I was really really blessed that the situation worked out that way because it really could have gone a different way and going back into the care system at a later age is it's not a positive experience for the majority of people oh it sounds like an absolute guardian angel you had there to take you in how old's your sister my sister is 30 so we're a year and a half apart okay was she older or younger oh she's older okay so how is that having do you think having your sister there was a massive support for you how important was that at least having someone there for you yeah I think it was I don't know but even still like we didn't really talk about it like my sister she helped out a lot with my little brother he was three at the time and I helped a lot with my mom and we had those like roles that we took on and we just never really talked about things we were like this is just like things that we have to get on with but I do have a I have a great relationship with my siblings like I love them my sister's getting married this year and we all have just like this really deep connection I think because of what we've gone through and and what we've came out the other side of yeah it sounds like such a journey you guys had to go through and I'm so I'd like to say uneducated around the foster care system and obviously probably Australia to Scotland's a little different as well but what was it like for you as like a child being adopted and being um, at school and whatnot was there ever anything that came up that you felt insecure about because I can imagine adoption comes with definitely some challenging things in your mind to deal with as a kid. So at a younger age like I actually felt very like special like my mom had like impressed on us like you were chosen to be my children this is an amazing <laughs> thing and we were like this is an amazing thing um and it was it was so exciting and it was something that was cool but I think after my mom passed away and kind of faced with the reality like oh I don't have parents now and definitely the older I got realizing like I actually don't know a lot about what parent relationships I like like I remember one of my friends at uni and um I had told her about my family situation and she's like oh so who are you telling about like your grades and stuff and these little things that no one cares about I was like oh I didn't know we were sharing these things with people and just like little you know things like that that I was like oh I didn't realize that I'm going to continually for the rest of my life be finding out about these experiences that I'm missing out on or I'll never know what that feels like and that can be pretty devastating because although I'm older now I'm 28 now so it has been 14 years 
um it's grief is an ongoing journey and mother's day father's day birthdays christmases you still have that kind of like lurching feeling and like uh, i wonder what and you kind of like imagine that different reality but the grief doesn't cripple me like it used to but it's still you know it never gets easier it just becomes different yeah i love the way that you describe sort of grief never goes away it's just a journey and you begin to accept it more and you can't your capacity to deal with it grows I have um, my sister Chloe her best friend um, and her have a podcast called Darling Shine around grief and um, my sister's had a few miscarriages and her partner or her best friend's partner passed away a couple years ago and they talk about grief and it's just like everybody deals with stuff differently and I think we need to like as a population learn to be so empathetic and be there. And I think the education system does fail us quite a lot to deal with challenging situations in our life. And that's why I'm so passionate about the work that I do with running workshops at schools and encouraging people to develop the right skills to be able to deal with these challenging times in life that are inevitable. But for you, obviously it's far, I mean, let's not call it far more challenging than different people's situations, but a very unique situation, which would have been such a, challenging time throughout your teen years what was that next um, period of your life like from sort of 14 to finishing high school did you enjoy high school how was um, your education for you so the next year was really turbulent because initially when my mom passed away I was like okay well we'll go and live with my gran and maybe like a little bit naive in that sense because my gran was 86 so there's no way that a social worker is gonna place you (laughs) with your gran um but my gran actually ended up passing away like six months later. And my gran was like my best friend, like my favorite human in the world. So that was like really, really devastating. And then a year after that, my friend at school passed away. So I felt like, I felt like I just like, couldn't really trust anything, believe in anything that bad things were always going to happen. And you just had like no control over anything. So the things that I could control, like being good at school, showing up, getting good grades, eventually going on to university like I threw myself into those things like and to the point where to from the outside looking in I was doing all of these amazing things like I was volunteering I was winning scholarships I was getting great grades but the amount of pressure that I was putting on myself to do all of these things was immense because I just had the feeling like I cannot fail because this is the only thing that I can control. Wow that's so powerful the way you describe that and you have such a good understanding and articulation of how you felt back then. You should be yeah, proud of that. When you did finish school, what were the goals and aspirations finishing school um, career-wise? Where did you think you were going to go? What was your situation like with like, where were you living and whatnot? Because obviously without having um, parents and that, let's call it normal upbringing, where did you see yourself heading straight after school? So I didn't really have a like, this is my dream career, but I knew like going to uni, that is the thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to go to uni. And that had always been my dream. And it's funny because I had actually considered studying philosophy and then I was like, no, I'm going to have too many unanswered questions. Whereas now like (laughs) all my life is all these unanswered questions where you learn to become comfortable with it. So I actually ended up going to study media. And what's interesting is I actually didn't get the grades that I needed to get into uni. So Uh, I don't work well under pressure and I'd actually failed my English exam because I answered the question wrong and um, so my teachers and some family friends like friends of my mom's who were professors had like helped me appeal my grade and write to the university and ask them if I could still come anyway 
and I later found out that a lot of universities have systems in place to encourage care leavers to go to university. So my grades technically would have been lower to get in anyway. It's just they don't make the information readily known that the support for care leavers. And I didn't find out about any of this until my third year in uni, I would say that there's, there are systems and support for care leavers, but they don't openly advertise them. So um, in my third and fourth year at uni, I actually did end up joining. So I went to Robert Gordon University in Aberdeen and they have a group within the university called the voice of reason and it's for care leavers social workers to come together chat about the experiences make the social work degree actually involve people who have been in the care system so people hear real experiences and also working with a charity called who cares scotland which is to provide support to care leavers because being in care is one thing but then that kind of transitional period between like i guess becoming like an adult is very challenging because you you know in a normal situation you go to school you go to university you get a job all of these things and your parents are there but in the care leaving system you go to school you go to university and you have your social workers in the background there for my sister and I we were lucky that we did grow up in a small town so they had more access to funding so they were able to support us through university in the sense that they paid for our accommodation during the time that we were at university and because we didn't have anywhere to go in our summer holidays they would also pay rent during our summer holidays so that we had somewhere to stay and it was great to have that financial support but when you finish university you are completely on your own and you will never hear from them again and so who cares scotland which is the charity that i worked with they support people like well into their late 20s because the support that you need doesn't finish when you're finishing university and even when you're in uni there are still differences between you and your peers and there's still an extra level of support um, whether that's from a mental health perspective or just people who understand what you've been through. So working with them was a really great and eye-opening experience. And it also, there was one specific occasion where I'd been asked to go to a group home, a group care home, uh, which is where like a group of maybe like 12 to 20 kids live that are in transitional period between leaving care and haven't been adopted. And I was asked to go and speak to them about going to university because the percentage of people that go to university from leaving care is extremely, extremely low. And in fact, when I later went on to do my master's, like I was only care leader there doing a master's. And so they wanted me to go on, like inspire them, encourage them to go to uni. And I was really excited to go and talk to them. And then when I got there, there was only one kid that had showed up and they were like, we just don't see the point. Like no one's going to believe in us. We're not going to have the money to go. We're not going to have the support to go. So like, what's the point in like, getting our hopes up about something like this when it's not actually going to come to life it's just a dream and it was really heartbreaking and it made me feel so lucky in the situation that I had that I had all of those mentors and people to support me and people who believed in me at points more than I believed in myself because without them I wouldn't be where I am today oh your journey just like it's I've got so much I want to ask it's so cool to I think anyone listening I mean, who's in the care system or something, it's really educational to know that there is support. And I think maybe not enough people are willing to go and search for answers might be the question. It might be the way to put it, but just understand what um, resources there are out there for people who do have disadvantages in different ways. Um, so yeah, I think some people will get something out of that. What was, what was your little brother doing at this time? Because what, he's seven years younger than you guys. How did you, because yeah. I find that might be an interesting question. When you and your sister went off to uni, what was your younger brother doing? So at the age when my friend's mom took 
my sister and I in she couldn't take my brother in because she had like a baby essentially of her own and because my brother was three at that point he actually did have the opportunity to be re-adopted so he spent I think a couple of months in the foster care system and then was eventually adopted into another family um, who are just incredible and they see my sister and I as part of their family as well until I moved out here to Australia I would spend Christmas with them every year they're going to my sister's wedding like I truly do see them as family as well and he couldn't have been placed with better humans who are just part of our weird and wonderful family. Uh, Goosebumps hearing that it's so nice to hear like a positive story from where you, you do hear quite a lot of negative stories about the adoption system and What's your take? This is a random question on the way that adoption is portrayed in movies and whatnot, because I feel like it must be different because I have this connotation and this sort of vision of what adoption in the world is from movies like, say, Annie and stuff like that. How um, how different is it to what you see in movies? I think it's the process is a lot more challenging than you're led to realize that the process of adopting a kid can take a very long time. And also the input and like kind of the check-ins that you have from social social workers like I don't actually remember how frequently it was but I remember that we would actually regularly have check-ins with social workers who want to check that you're adjusting well that you're fitting in with your family and then there are also additional kind of questions or hoops that you have to jump through if you are uh your black kid or your kid of color because they want to ensure that you're with a family who you know, knows things culturally who are going to be able to help you with just like, like learning more about your identity as like a person of color. And because my mom was mixed race as well, there's obviously like a visual difference between her and us who were like black. And so yeah, the social worker system and the care system can be really varied experiences and I think because we did grow up in such a small town that we were really lucky in the social workers that we got in the access that we got that we were with people who genuinely cared about us and cared to check in and had the resources to be able to do that but not everyone is so lucky yeah sounds like yeah I mean unlucky lucky the way you want to look at it but it's really cool to see how you've come out the other side with such a let's call it a positive experience through such tough times throughout those teen years let's talk about now post uni what did you study at uni first and then yeah how, how the hell are you in Australia now so my first degree was in media and then you know as I kind of talked about when you finish your degree your education you're no longer supported by your social workers so going through my last couple of years at uni this was like a big thing that was like looming in the back of my mind like I need to figure out what I'm going to do afterwards otherwise I'm going to be homeless and actually caused like a severe amount of anxiety and depression and again felt like something that I couldn't really share with my friends because it's not a, it wasn't a relatable situation for them and I didn't know how much they'd be able to advise me and also just feeling a bit of like shame around the situation actually and so what I eventually ended up deciding to do was going back to get my master's like six months in fact maybe less than that there was a summer break and then I went straight back to get my master's in digital marketing and I hadn't really done it because I was super passionate about doing my master's in digital marketing like I felt like 
I felt like and if anyone's in uni right now I don't mean to like up on your experience but I felt like what I had learned outside of uni had been a lot more powerful than what I had learned in uni so going back to education didn't really feel like something I needed to do but I was like oh well if I go back to uni then I'm going to have another year of support from my social workers and then this is going to give me another year to figure out what I actually want to do um but that was an incredibly challenging year for me because pretty soon into the degree I realized like I don't want to be here I don't want to be studying this like and it wasn't that the work was necessarily hard it was just that I wasn't like enjoying what I was doing and I was still dealing with all of these mental health challenges in the background it's not like I thought like oh this is my solution like when I go back to uni all of these fears and doubts and challenges they're going to go away but they didn't it was just extended for another year and so during that time I knew that my mental health was declining because when I was 14 um we had been given counselors not not like we'd ask for it but they like you should see counselors and counselors kind of came into school periods and we would talk to them I went to counseling for like a very brief period and also at that time before even the counseling began I was suffering from insomnia and I thought it was just like a sleep thing so I'd gone to doctors to ask for some sleeping pills obviously they're not going to give a 14 year old sleeping pills Hmm. and um she had said like I think you might have depression I didn't really know what that was at all no one had talked about anything like that so I knew when I was like this is my early 20s like late teens I knew what it was I knew I was feeling depressed I knew I was feeling anxious and also at that time I had a undiagnosed chronic illness which I now know to be endometriosis which is like a chronic inflammation disease so all of these things were wreaking havoc on my life plus the fact that I was at uni studying for a degree that I didn't want plus I like I need to figure out what I'm going to do after I leave was just like too much to deal with And so at the beginning of 2016, like I was actually suicidal. Like I felt like I couldn't go on anymore. There was just like too much to deal with. And there didn't really seem to be any solution to this. And I stopped going to uni. I stopped really caring about anything, going out, seeing friends and just really sinking into this deep, deep depression. And it was made worse by the fact that I knew I was depressed. Like I knew things were really bad. And I had been going to the doctor saying like, I think I need to see someone. Like, I think this is really bad. And they were just like, we don't have the resources to support you. We'll be able to get you in to see someone in a year. And that was just too long for me. It's it's crazy to hear that, isn't it? And I know it's quite similar here in Australia with resources around uh, our mental health system is quite flawed because obviously it's such a big problem. And it's so sad hearing stories like that. People who desperately need some advice and some help aren't being able to get it. Did you feel like you had adequate skills taught to you throughout your life to be able to manage mental health at all or not at all? Um, Not particularly because I had just become like hyper independent and Mm. I was just like so focused on like doing everything for myself, always having my plan B, always having my own safety, my own security. So I didn't really know how to be like fully supported by other people, how to fully let people in. Mm. That's, yeah, it's, it's crazy to try and understand what works for us and the way that, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear how you overcame this. So let's talk about that. When you when did you get help and when did things change for you? When did it turn around? Because I know now you're obviously a very happy, bubbly, life coachy sort of person. And I love hearing stories like this. So was there a turning point for you? Yeah, so... At the depths of my depression, one of my friends, he actually came with me to the doctors 
And I basically said everything I would normally say that I was struggling, that I need to see someone and they gave me the same response. And then my friend basically opened up the conversation and was just like, this isn't good enough. You need to get her in to see someone like yesterday. And then a month later I had a letter and they had got me in to see someone and I started therapy like a couple of months later. So that was definitely a turning point for me because it was like, okay, someone actually believes what I'm going through because at the same time as like, I'm being rebuffed by doctors for my mental health, also for my physical health while I'm having this endometriosis and everyone telling me that there's nothing wrong when I'm in like severe crippling pain. So going to therapy was definitely a catalyst that really helped me. And also around that time I had joined a network marketing company and my mentor was leading me into the world of conscious manifestation and personal development. And I felt like, oh, I do actually have power over my situation and the power to change my reality. And therapy actually, that stint in therapy didn't actually work out that well for me because my therapist and I, we just didn't have a good relationship. I felt like she didn't respect me or honor my experience. And so I left after maybe six or seven sessions. I didn't, I didn't continue, but it was you know, it was something that I needed just to be able to see outside the confines of my own mind and to feel like hope again, because once you have that seed of hope, like things can grow from there. Whereas before I literally felt like I had nothing, like I didn't feel like I had a reason to keep going. Whereas this gave me like, okay, like life is just like one degree above terrible and one degree above terrible was like all I needed to, to keep going. And so over that next um, eight months, I really dove into my personal development journey into conscious manifestation. I watched The Secret for the first time, which I know is a lot of people's introduction to the law of attraction. I was like, this is incredible. Made my friend have a vision board party with me and like bang in the middle of that vision board was like a picture of me at my first graduation. Cause I was like, I'm committed to this master's now. Like I'm in deep. I'm just going to finish this degree because it's what I set out to do. And then I had all of these like travel experiences um, the type of person I wanted to be I remember I put like a bagel with some like avocado on it because I wanted to be someone who got up and ate breakfast early and like some weights because I wanted to be a gym person like all these just like things that make me laugh now but it's, it's actually who I am today and from the beginning of the year to the end of the year like was so different like the relationship with myself was so dramatically shifted and the way that I felt at home in my body I felt like I knew who I was I felt like I had the freedom to go after the things I wanted to go after. And I realized like I had been placing like so much weight and so much emphasis on like, I just want to be like everyone else. I just want to have a normal life. I just want to fit in. And then I was like, do I actually want those things? Like, I don't want to just have what everyone else is having. I actually want to decide for myself. And I don't just want to have a normal life. I want to have an extraordinary life. And what would my extraordinary life actually look like? And so a friend and I had decided like, this is it. This is, this is our chance. We're going to move to Australia. We're going to take a year out. We're going to do the Australia thing and it's going to be incredible. Um, and that was definitely a motivator for me doing a lot of the work because I didn't just want to go to Australia the way that I was feeling at that point in time. And I didn't just want to think that that was going to be a band aid that was magically going to change my situation. Like I knew I had to do the self-work before I even left Scotland, left the UK to be able to fully enjoy and immerse myself in that experience. Uh, it's, it's so nice hearing and even watching your expression change when you begin to talk about manifestation and this turning point. And it's funny you bring up the idea that you're not funny, but that you're um, psychologist or counselor 
didn't really connect with you. And I think a lot of people don't have, and it sounds like from your experience, by going to therapy, it made you realize, oh, there's a different way of thinking. You might not have got the advice that helped you on your way directly, but it sounds like you got this kind of awareness that there's, hey, there's a different way to think about the world. And from the outside looking in, it's like your mindset went from kind of victim mentality to hero mentality. Like, you know what? I'm going to be the hero of my story. Like, like you said, like I can live an extraordinary life. Do you think the secret was a big part of that? It's funny. I watched the secret for the first time and it was probably the first time I became aware of manifestation. And I was with a friend of mine, Wade Carmichael at a surf comp. I've actually had him as a guest on good humans podcast. He's one of the first guests and we speak a lot about visualization and I'm pretty sure we speak about the secret of the episode, but I was going through some relationship problems or something. And my sister was like, you got to watch this documentary. So I watched it and I kind of forced my mate to watch it with me. And we're in, um, in a place called Acapulco in Mexico in a surf comp. I remember it really clearly. And I forced him to watch it with me. And then he was pretty like, oh, this is lardy da stuff. And then he ended up winning that surf comp that week. It was like his first big victory. And he's like, and I was like, were you manifesting? And he's like, yeah, I kind of was actually after watching that movie. I was just telling myself this wave's going to come to me. And it kept coming to me in this wave. So I've like believed in the power of manifestation for a long time. And I do, um, yeah, use it a lot in my life what was that transition like moving to Australia and trying to start a business? And what was that first step once you got to Australia? So watching the secret for me was definitely, it felt like a remembrance. Like I had where we grew up, we grew up next to a Tibetan monastery. So we actually grew up Buddhist from a young age. So hearing like a lot of the concepts that they mentioned in the secret, I wasn't like, Oh, this is crazy. I was like, Oh yeah, this makes sense. Like this relates to a lot of the stuff that I learned being Buddhist. And so incorporating more of that into my life we began to all my Australia stuff on my vision board as well like I can remember like exactly the layout of all the pictures why Australia um because it was really far away from Scotland and it was very warm I was like let's get somewhere (laughs) far away that's hot and like I didn't realize it's, it's winter now in Australia if you're listening and you're outside of Australia like I didn't realize this was a real thing like I thought this was just like a con like when people said winter in Australia I was like oh yeah that'll be like 30 degrees or something it's actually cold I was like what you're in, Mel- you're in Melbourne too though yeah. Melbourne's, Melbourne's pretty cold I'm on the Gold Coast it's still yeah we're not I all still that call lucky. it a little I still call it cold today but it's um I was just in Sydney yesterday and it's colder in Sydney and then Melbourne will be colder again. So it's, um, it's not as cold as Scotland though. I can imagine. No, not as cold as Scotland, but definitely not what I expected. And uh, so I had planned to come here with my friend and all year we'd been planning that, been working towards that, taking on extra jobs and stuff. And then we kind of had a falling out and we weren't speaking for a while and it had got to like I'm like oh it's like three weeks before we leave and then I don't remember the last time I spoke to my friend so I reached out to her I was like hey I bought some like travel magazines like do you want to come around and then she was like oh I've actually been thinking of how I wanted to tell you but I'm not going to be coming anymore and I think you should go by yourself at that point like traveling alone was just not on my radar my flatmate was like no don't do it like how are you gonna cope if you have like a panic attack while you're away and all of these things and it wasn't something that I actually wanted to do traveling alone at all but by this point like I had told everyone that I was leaving I'd given up my flat like I was like if I don't go what am I gonna do and so it felt almost like I was kind of like peer pressured into like, well, I have to go anyway, rather than like, yeah, I'm so pumped to travel the world alone. 
And even up until the point where I'm at the airport and I'm going to get on the plane, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I wanted to turn back. I didn't want to go. And I was like, things are finally getting good here. Um, is this really the best decision? Like, what if I don't make any friends? And just so many questions. Um, I remember crying on the plane as well. My friend had dropped me off at the airport and it was really emotional. And then we were actually meant to travel in Asia for seven weeks first. So I got off the plane in Bangkok and then sitting in the taxi, like looking around me, looking out the windows, I was just like, this is my life. What? What? This is the life that I get to live. And it was incredible. Like I felt like this is like whatever you want it to be. This can be whatever you want it to be. You can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. And that is just a gift. And I just felt like so blessed to be doing what I was doing and I absolutely needed to do that trip alone like it was the best thing for me to be forced into doing that alone oh that's so cool two questions one how old were you and two had you traveled before much internationally at all so I was 21 at that point in time and I had kind of traveled so I'd done um, a couple of festivals I'd went to overseas with my sister and I actually won a scholarship to um, to work in the US for three months and then afterwards we'd had like two weeks where we traveled throughout the US and that was like my first time like staying in hostels and doing the meeting people traveling thing but outside of that like not a lot like not it wasn't a super regular thing. So wait so you moved to Australia when you were 21? Yeah. And you were saying just before 2016 you were kind of going through these troubles was that here in Australia doing your master's? <laughs> no. No, so be the beginning of 2016 was when so I ended the end of 2016. Yeah, so I was 21. Yeah, right was my 20 left. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, have I got my dates wrong? Yeah, yeah. No, my 22nd birthday was in Thailand. So, yeah, six years I've been in Australia. Wow. So then you went from a bit of a trip through um, Asia and then landed in Australia. What was the process for you moving to Australia with visas and stuff like that? Are you planning on staying here? What's, what's the go? What are you thinking? So I initially was like, yeah, I'm going to come here for a year and just um, that was it. And then I planned to go to Scotland after a year. And then like pretty soon into my first year, I was like, no, I want to stay for another year. So I did my farm work, which was a very interesting um, character building experience. Wait, where'd you do it? I did it in Innisfail. Where's that? It's a North Queensland. It's like an hour south of Cairns, Cairns. What were you doing? Banana farming or something? Yeah, I was doing banana packing. Oh, no way. <laughs> Good guess. How is that? Was that traumatic? As, yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, was that as bad? As, so what's the go? This is probably really interesting because a lot of the audience from here is Australia. And I feel like a lot of people, I've had a few friends who are international and have had awareness around what happens with people who are international workers um so what is it it's like an international student worker visa kind of thing or like so it's a second working holiday visa so while yeah, you're on your first holiday, working holiday right. you can use like the three months of it work on a farm and if you do your three months on a farm they'll essentially give you another year visa you qualify for another year yeah, yeah. and so we had all heard the horror stories of like horrible experiences or low pay or really hard hours so I thought I'd lucked out when I got this farm recommendation through a friend of a friend and then what actually ended up happening is my first farm job I got fired after five days because she just didn't like my vibe she didn't like me um and so I was really devastated getting fired from this thing and I had purposely done this so I didn't have to do something like banana packing so when I was like oh no now I'm actually gonna what was the, the first farm, one it was just like working at a caravan park 
um and just like they had animals on a farm at the caravan park so we were doing stuff around the park um and also feeding the animals and stuff so it was meant to be pretty chill it was in Ningen Ningen which is like just outside of Davos New South Wales um so I thought it was going to be really chill really great but it was actually the opposite of that and then because most people do their farm work at the end of their first year visa so you you're on a time crunch because you only have so much time to actually complete your three months so I was freaking out like I don't actually know what I'm going to do next but within two weeks I got placed in Innisfail at this banana farm and we were all living at a working hostel so there's about 100 of us living and working uh, at this hostel getting up at 5am to go to this farm and then that was our lives and it was actually it was both a challenging experience but a really great experience because the hostel life like you're all going through this shared collective horrible experience so when you're like spending time at the hostel together and weekends together like you become like a family but the work itself you are very aware that you're replaceable because everyone wants this job and because of that people don't necessarily treat you well and the hours that you work and the way that you're spoken to and what's expected of you is more than would be expected of like a normal worker and you know normal rights that you would have for jobs Mm, it's disappointing to hear that but I guess that's just I mean I don't even want to say what it is that sounds average to know that that's kind of how people are getting treated here in Australia who want to stay for an extra year so are you so you're obviously still here so what's the next step of this what's the next chapter of the story after Um, your second year of working holiday how do you maintain staying in Australia um so at the moment I am studying I have gone back to school not at uni but I am at college and I'm doing um leadership so I'm studying a diploma in leadership and on a student visa and so that's my two-year visa okay so yeah you've been here for so you had one year one year wait if you've been here for six years how have you Mm. so I did one year working holiday and then I I always take a few months to travel so I go back to the UK travel Asia and then come back so I did that one year traveled came back one year travel came back on a tourist visa switched over to student visa switched over to another student visa so I've done it's my second student visa (laughs) that's pretty cool we just love Australia I don't want to leave what's the next chapter are you are you able to get citizenship have you been here for that long or is there a transition for you to be able to stay here longer or not really. So I do see myself living in Australia long term. I'm not entirely sure how that's going to happen yet, but I just trust that. Man- manifest this, it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> It'll come. So let's talk about manifestation. Where did um, your business sort of come from? And yeah, maybe just tell me a bit more about this coaching business that you run, how long you've been doing it, how do people learn a bit more about it? And yeah, let's talk about the vibes technique. Um. So I, from my, when I finished Um, studying I was like okay I actually don't want to work in digital marketing and I just didn't really love what I'd learned on my master's I felt like what I loved most was the creative aspect and helping people communicate better with one another and what I had learned during my master's was a lot of the data side the analytics side and I was like I just don't love this and so I was like yeah digital marketing not for me even though that's what I've been studying for the past like five years But when I moved out here to Australia, I knew that I wanted to start my own business and I hired a coach to help me decide what that business was going to be to get that business off the ground and going through like what my skills and stuff were. Digital marketing was something that I was highly skilled in. And we thought, well, maybe it would be different for me having my own company in digital marketing as opposed to working for someone else. Like a lot of the things I didn't like might have been based on that. And so I did initially start in 2018, I had a digital marketing agency 
but I would say maybe like six months into that I realized nope still hate digital marketing I still don't want to be doing this um but I felt like I had to keep going because I felt like it was something that I had committed to so I just kept going and it was actually making me quite miserable and at this point again I had hired another coach but this time not a business coach she was actually a manifestation coach and mindset coach and I would set all these like business goals with her of things I wanted to hit and at the same time as I'm I have my business I also have a travel blog I've been blogging for the past nine years now and so I would have my blog goals I would have my business goals I had my work I had my friends and all of these things going on at the same time and every week I would show up to meet her and I would just be like completely overwhelmed and really stressed and it got to a point where she was like do you actually want to do this business? And I like, I didn't even have to think about it. I was just like, no, but I hadn't really given myself the permission to, to back out of it because I felt like it was a commitment that I had made and I had to just like keep going, keep going. And eventually like one day you'll like it or one day you'll be able to move on to something else. And so when we came to that realization, she was like, okay, I just want you to take like a month off your business. And if you're like at the end of it, like I, I feel renewed, I want to come back to it. That's great. And if you don't, that's completely fine as well. And so that month turned into two and a half years and I just like, I just never went back to it. And it was one of the best things I've ever done. And also one of the scariest decisions I ever made because it wasn't like I was quitting that business because I had something else in mind. Like this is what I'm going to move on to next or this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to go. I just took a leap of faith on myself that the answer is going to come to me and I don't necessarily need to go, need to know where I'm going next. All I need to know is this is not the one, this is not how I want to feel. And this is not how I'm supposed to feel. And I think a really powerful lesson that I learned during that time is like, I had so many, like when I get to this point or after this amount of years, then I'm going to be able to leave. Then I'm going to be able to do this. Then I'm going to be able to do what I really want to do. Your dream life shouldn't have an exit plan. Your dream life Mm -hmm. doesn't have you always thinking about your plan Bs and how you're going to escape from it. And so it really encouraged me to go inward and to really listen to the signals and signs that my my body is giving me that my soul is giving me about where I wanted to go and to to trust myself to really surrender to the universe but also to myself and how much I've got myself through how I've survived everything that I've been through how I've thrived through everything that I've been through mm. and whatever life throws at me I know I'll be able to do that I love that you bring up the when I then I kind of thing because I speak about that a bit in the podcast and it's something that I'm quite conscious of and speak about in my workshops this idea that basically the world we live in with marketing and media and everything is telling you once you get this product then you'll be happy once you get this like then you'll be happy it's like it's all wrong and the more that we can trust that intuition and that feeling when something doesn't go right it's there as a kid and it's slowly from our sort of upbringing the traumas we go through our self-beliefs we start to drift away from that intuition. And it's something I have been leaning a lot into lately. When did the idea, and and as well with the uh, digital marketing thing, as much as not going directly into digital marketing, it is probably one of the most valuable skills you can have when starting another business, which I'm sure with um, your stuff in the manifestation, the digital marketing skills that you have are invaluable because I'm learning very quickly that there is a lot to digital marketing and it's very hard to um, get it right and build the right strategies. Once is, oh, well, how is, how did you start your manifestation business and what's happening there now? So at the time when I quit my digital marketing business, I was still doing my 
travel it was like a travel and mindset blogging actually and at the same time as I had my blog I also had this Facebook group called High Vibe Blogger Tribe and it was about mindset stuff for bloggers and I would do like I would do Facebook lives every week I would share information like on mindset shifts because I was what would be termed as in fact not even a micro influencer I was a nano influencer which is like below 5,000 followers and I was like landing all these brand deals opportunities so I had um I traveled New Zealand for two weeks. I worked with the Berlin Tourist Board, New Zealand Tourist Board. And people are like, how are you doing this when you have like, no, in the social media world, no followers? Um, Because at that point, I think I had like 2000 followers on Instagram or something. So like, how are you working with these companies? And so I was sharing some of the mindset aspect to putting myself out there. And it's actually funny because the first brand that I ever pitched to work with was a float tank brand in Melbourne and it came to me in a dream that I had pitched them and I'd never pitched any brand before and I dreamt that I worked with them I messaged them and they got back to me half an hour later like yeah we'd love to collaborate with you and I was like gotta follow this gotta follow this thread so when I quit my other business I was like okay great now I've got more time to put into my Facebook group share more of the mindset and manifestation stuff that I'm doing and then around that time, I had also just released a solo travel ebook, Girl Solo, a modern guide to traveling the world alone. Because since that first move to Australia, I traveled to like maybe 10 or 11 countries after that by myself because I just loved the experience of traveling alone so much. And I felt there's a real gap for telling the story also from the perspective of a woman of color because experience as a black woman traveling the world is actually quite different and was something that I wasn't prepared for from the stuff that I had learned. And I was really excited. I launched this book into the world. It took me like a year to write this. And then two weeks later, COVID hits and no one's going anywhere. I'm like, oh, oh, I thought this was going to be my thing. I was going to throw myself into travel logging. And to begin with, I did initially continue to talk about travel, but it's it very quickly becomes demotivating when it's like, oh, we don't know when we're going to be going anywhere again. Um, and so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to talk about mindset and manifestation. And I didn't really know that I was going to start a business from it, but it very quickly evolved to people asking me more questions, people asking for more support, me deciding to do um, some. So I now I'm a certified hypnotherapist, life and success coach. I also done my NLP, EFT. So getting certified in those things, learning more about those things, but also my own experiences from the past, you know, that five years of my life using conscious manifestation and mindset work to completely, completely changed my life, not only from an external perspective, but most importantly to me was the internal relationship that I had like mm. before in 2016, when I'm like, I love myself. Like it's easy to say something and not really mean it. Whereas now when I say it, like, I mean it, like I truly mm. mean it. Like spending time with myself is like one of the greatest gifts I could ever be given and getting to know myself on a deeper level, learn how I work, learn the shadows, learn where I want to go, what I want to do is it's, it's just such a powerful tool that each of us have access to, but the conversations that we have with ourselves, like it's not something you would, you would think to do unless you're kind of in this space or unless you've like heard someone else talk about it. So I think the answers that we hold intrinsically, is just like, is the key to everything. Yeah. Building a conscious, conscious relationship with the, the mind and the voices in our head is so important. And something that I do work on quite a bit because it's quite funny. You literally can change the relationship. If you think about your thoughts in your mind, no different to any other relationship in your life, you need to work on it. You need to foster it. You need to develop it and sort of call it out when it's not being too friendly to you, just like you would any other friend. Like you're not going to hang around with a friend that's 
mean to you all the time. And so many people, like 80% of our thoughts are negative. So how do we begin to change that? So what would be your best tips for somebody who is in a bit of a destructive relationship with themselves? How did you change that mindset? I think first of all is you have to take responsibility for your life and your relationship with yourself. And when I say take responsibility, I don't mean this is like, you need to blame yourself for everything that's happened. But I mean, you need to say like, cause for so long as you're like blaming external circumstances and other people, what you're also saying is like those other people, those external circumstances are the ones with the power to change my situation. So in order to actually feel like you have the ability to change your situation and to not just know that but to really feel that you have to take responsibility for your life and you also have to be compassionate to yourself in the process because there's no point taking responsibility and then feeling like a a sack of so you have to Mm. really like own it um so I would say the first step is like taking responsibility having that self-compassion and then building that sense of self-awareness where you're actually curious to learn more about yourself you're curious to learn about why things are the way they are. You're curious to learn about what your values are and not only curious to learn about them, but to move forward. Oh, you are speaking my absolute language. I need you to come to one of my workshops and watch because the first thing I speak about is responsibility. The second thing I speak about is values. And <laughs> so it's like, you're like bang on my language. I want to share um, a little metaphor with you around this idea of taking responsibility. And I've said this before on the podcast, but I'm going to say it again because I show it at every one of my workshops and it's just a really good one for this idea of taking responsibility. So there's a lion and a deer in a field and they're both running for their life. The lion's chasing the deer, trying to eat it to survive. And the deer's trying to run away to survive. So they're both running at full speed and the deer takes a sharp cut to the right and the tiger or the lion slips in the mud and misses the deer. The t- lion doesn't go home and go, oh, the market conditions weren't right. Oh, that bloody, sh- I wish it didn't rain last night. No, no, no. The lion goes home, sharpens his claws and comes back tomorrow to the hunt. And when you take upon yourself what's happening and go, you know what? The best way to be better is to go home, improve on myself, sharpen my claws, come back the next day and be better. I think it's just this idea of changing from this hero, uh, from the victim mentality to the hero mentality from reacting to what's happening in life to manifesting and just trusting that, Hey, good things are going to come if I can just bring that energy into the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that example too. It's a good one, huh? So let's talk about the um, vibes method. Your, uh, I guess, coaching method that you use with your clients. What's that all about? So I had been consciously manifesting, I would say, since 2016 and really shaping my journey with manifestation. And in 2016 was when I created my first vision board. So in 2018, I was like, oh, I want to approach this again. going to make another vision board, put all these things on it. And I actually reflected on this in 2020 and none of the things I had put on this vision board manifested. And I was like, what? (laughs) I'm the manifestation queen. How could this happen to me? And when I looked back over the vision board, what I realized was that I didn't actually want any of the things I'd put on it. Like I put things on there because I'm this age, this is where I should be at in my life, or this is what other people around me I'm seeing there having, or, oh, I guess this is something that would be cool to have, but it wasn't something that I actually wanted. There were things that I thought would make me look good or things I thought I was supposed to want. And what I realized was that when many people come to manifestation, they're approaching 
they're approaching it first from the intention level of this is what I want to have and I think that's where so many people go wrong and so what that led me to do was reflecting on past experiences where I had manifested things into my life and determining what I thought was the missing step that needed to come before intention and ultimately that led me to coming up with my five-step method for aligned manifestation and really this method helps you to bring more of a balance to your manifestation practice but also helps to highlight like the intrinsic value and inner power that you can bring to your manifestation process as well so when it comes to manifestation we are all so different and I don't want to say that there is one thing that is going to work for absolutely everyone because that wouldn't be true for me to say because I don't I don't know who's listening on a level like that but what I will say is there are certain themes and at each of these themes you can pick the practices that work for you you can pick the kind of work that you want to dive into and so that's what the vice method is about Ah, that's cool. Did that, is it an acronym? Yes. So I will, I'll walk you through the steps. So oops, <laughs> I pulled on the one. one thing quickly before you go through the steps, I just really like this, uh, what you brought up there. So many people like you did at the start go, I want to manifest this because it looks like, and I think that's coming straight back to the, when I, then I mindset, mm. when I manifest and one of my, um, two of my really good friends actually have an app called Manifesty, which is a manifestation app and, just incredible people they have a mindset and um meditation school as well and the way that they talk about manifestation the way that i talk about it with them now is you're not manifesting i want this it's i've already got this it's there i'm just sort of like bringing it into existence in my life rather than oh i want this big house manifesting my dream car my dream house it's more so manifesting like oh yeah I want that but it's like what am I going to do to get there like I need to live my manifestation so yeah let's explain the vibes method so the first step is embodying the vibe of your higher self and to me when I initially heard about the concept of your higher self is the way that it was taught to me the way that I read about it was like your higher self is the best version of you and I think sometimes what people may unintentionally be saying when they say higher self is it encourages people to think like the current version of me who I am right now is not good enough there's something Mm. flawed about the way that I am now and so when I say higher self what I take that to mean is your truest self so living more in alignment with your values so embodying the vibe of your higher self looks at not what do I want to have first but who do I want to be and is the life I'm living in alignment with the person that I want to be and if it's not then what changes do I need to make so that I'm more in alignment with my truth and the things that we manifest are then contributing to that truth not the other way around and so embodying the vibe of your higher self is really you know what we talked about earlier about having those conversations with yourself learning about the importance of your values which are super unique to you so while my value may be freedom as like a single 28 year old woman who wants to travel the world someone else's values of freedom might be the freedom to give my kids these opportunities or the freedom to excel in my job you know you can have the same word the same value but it's going to mean something completely different to different people Mm, that's really cool that you talk about values it's the basis of everything I talk about the idea that my life changed once I used to base and you'll you'll relate to this i used to base my self-worth and my identity around winning surfing competitions i've been a professional surfer for the last 15 years and i used to really base everything around if i was winning surf comps my well-being was at a pretty high point if i wasn't 
I was struggling. I felt guilty. I didn't want to be around the people who I looked up to at my local beach. But then once I was exposed to this idea of understanding your values and your true values, like you said, what do they mean to you? And diving into this and building some consciousness around it and not just using trigger words like, oh, I, I love honesty, respect and kindness. It's like, you can say they're your values, but what values are you actually living by? And for me, it completely changed my outlook on life. What, um, what are your values? What are your most important few values? Um, and yeah, I totally relate to what you shared because I was someone who was like, my thing was like being smart. So when I got like bad, well, in, in my mind, like yeah. a bad grade was like a B. I was like, <gasps> how could this happen? And you know what it is as well is that this was seemingly inconsequential incident that happened when I was younger where my history teacher took like a real um, role in my life. She took a real supportive role in my life and would help me prep for exams and went above and beyond to help me because she knew of my situation. And I'd got my results back for something and I'd got a B and I was actually very happy that I got a B, but she was like, I'm really sorry you got a B. I know you must be so disappointed. And I was like, oh, if I get anything less than an A, it's not good enough and people aren't going to be proud of me. So yeah, it's, I definitely relate to that. Um, for me, my values, my main values are freedom and connection. And um, I worked with a coach, one of my coaches, and we were working around what my values are. And what we, you know, asserted is that a lot of people's values relate to what they experienced in childhood, either what they had an abundance of or what they didn't have a lot of. So for me, connecting with people is, is hugely important because of the roles that people have had in my life and the hand that people have had in my life and the freedom to the life that I'm living now is something that 15 year old Afia would like never have imagined possible. Like I have the freedom to do so many things that, that I just couldn't have done back then. And it feels like such a blessing that I get to experience these things now and that life didn't stop the way that I thought it had when I was 14. I was like, Oh, this is, this is it now. Oh, it's so interesting. You bring that up because I brought, I spoke about this last um, week in my short Wednesday podcast, the idea that, there's this, I don't know if you've heard of it. There's a lady in America called Dr. Nicole LaPera. She's like the holistic psychologist. And I'm reading a book at the moment and there's a chapter that goes on to this idea. The first step, and I feel like I've been in this place for a few years, is that you're not your thoughts. You can separate from your mm. thoughts. But she went on to talk about this concept that you aren't your self-beliefs either. And when she went on to this was she was like, yeah, just because that was your upbringing and it created your self-beliefs, there's no reason why you can't change them. The self-beliefs you have on yourself and your lives, like you said, the archetypes that we are is based on our, what we've had abundance of or lack of. And that's not our present moment. That was our past. And once we can break down those barriers and understand we aren't these limiting self-beliefs, we can begin to yeah take steps forward in our life and develop new values and evolve into like we touched on before your higher self. And it's not to say that you're not like right now you are your higher self, but there's always potential for growth. Mm, yeah, I definitely relate. And if you are, you know, wanting to explore that you are not your thoughts journey more, I really, really recommend um, for anyone listening, a book by Michael A. Singer called The Untethered Soul, which is like one of the best books I've ever read um, talking about the separation of you from the voice in your head that is not you. Like uh, the way he describes things is mind blowing. Oh, I love that. I'll put that one in the show notes for everyone listening. couple last quick questions. What sort of recommendation do you have for someone who's in this mindset of manifestation is a bit la-di-da? What's the 
barrier to entry for most people what you see how does somebody start manifesting so the way i see it is uh, maybe explain well, what manifesting is sorry real quickly yeah just, absolutely let's just like if someone says to you what is manifesting what is it so we're all manifesting all of the time and the process of manifestation is simply making something real it's taking something that is intangible like a thought in your head to something that you can experience in your 3d physical reality so whether that's manifesting something physical or is manifesting a relationship is manifesting a way you want to feel is bringing something that is in inside to the outer world and so we're all manifesting all the time if you look around that everything you have now all the people you have in your life or the experience you've had all of those were things that you manifest into your life whether you were conscious of them or not which is why I always make the assertion like I teach conscious manifestation because we're we're all doing these things anyway and so what manifestation for me and the way I teach it is is building this relationship between your conscious and subconscious mind because while you can consciously say you want something or you consciously say that you're going to do something and especially if you notice like I said I wanted this and I said I was going to do this but I find myself sabotaging I don't think I'm worthy of it I don't think I'm deserving of it it's because your 92% of your life is, is your subconscious mind. So if you don't have that awareness around your subconscious beliefs, thoughts, patterns, then we're not going to create real change, just superficial change. So if you want to change things at a deep level, it has to look at, you know, going top down from the values to the beliefs, to the thoughts, to the environment, not the other way around when we're wanting just like a quick fix, which is like, oh, just change, change my environment, which can be helpful. But if you want to create that deep change, the values and the beliefs is what's going to actually then knock down the the other dominoes as it were so if you're listening and you're you're thinking manifestation is bs or it doesn't apply to you like uh i'm not here to to force you to believe anything you get to choose what you want to believe but i would encourage you to to be open if there's different terms that you want to use that's completely fine if there's certain concepts you resonate with and certain concepts you don't resonate with that's also okay as well like spirituality is is your own journey and you get to choose where you want that to go just don't be you know so limited by being really stuck in your beliefs that you don't open yourself up to to what's actually possible for you and so the third step of my vice method is actually around exploring energetic blocks and boundaries and we can create a lot of these invisible boundaries within our lives without even realizing that we're doing it and then when it comes to consciously creating boundaries which are actually going to serve us and move us closer towards our goals towards our dreams those are the ones that we people struggle to create yeah it's, it's really interesting you bring that up the same so there's just a lot of layers to it but just like anything it takes time and it takes practice and i think people aren't giving it the go because they don't see a response in the first session of manifesting or like your general manifestation introduction people will be like uh, I'm manifesting like I want this dream card it's like well what are you actually doing it's not magic it's just intention and then willing it into your life by dedicated conscious actions and yeah I think so many people are going to learn from this and at least be a bit more curious about manifestation because it's something that I'm definitely aware of and I, I use a bit, but it's something I can lean more into. And I know I will after this conversation because yeah, the, the journey you've been on the life that you're at now is really cool. What's, um, what's the best way for people getting in contact with you? What's the best way if somebody wants to learn more about your story and learn more about your work and if they want to get involved with your business, give it, yeah, give it a little plug. How can people work with you? 
Um, so I have a podcast, the Manifest Edit podcast on socials. I'm Ifiasalter underscore and probably DMing me is the best way to learn about what's going on. But I also have um, a free masterclass on the power of subconscious manifestation. So it talks more about the relationship between our conscious and subconscious mind, why it's important and kind of the layers that we have to go through to to make that real change. And you can grab that at afiasalter.com forward slash freebie. Oh, too good. I'm going to leave all of that in the show notes, obviously. So make sure you go and check all that out. Um, this has been such a great chat. I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to come and learn your story from your upbringing. You've been so vulnerable and open in sharing your journey through being an orphan as a child, losing your mom, um, the experience through high school. And it just sounds like you've been obviously let's not even call it lucky and unlucky wrong words it seems like you've adapted quite well and had some moments that have been fortunate from being taken in at 14 and just the people around you it's, it shows why connection is so important to you because as much as it has been a difficult upbringing it sounds like you've been lucky to have some people around you to help shelter you through those difficult times which is so important and the last question I do finish Good Humans podcast with for everyone is what does being a good human mean to Ephia Salter? Um, being a good human, being a good human to me just means like, you know, doing, doing your best. And I think, you know, we place so much emphasis on, on binaries like good and bad, right and wrong and trying to be perfect. You don't need to be perfect to, to, to be good. You just need to live a life that's in alignment with what you believe and be doing doing your best each day. So well put. I love that. It's been, yeah, such a great conversation. I'm glad we got to have this. Thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully we can catch up. I'm going to be in Melbourne in a month. Maybe we'll go grab a coffee and get to know each other a bit better because it's been cool. I've usually known my guests quite well on this podcast, but I'm starting to branch out as the podcast grows to more and more people and I'm getting to have conversations with people who just fascinate me like you and yeah I know so many people will love your story if you do enjoy it and you're out there listening right now take a screenshot share it on your story tag both me and Effia and yeah let us know what you thought of the episode so thanks so much for jumping on Good Humans Podcast. Thanks for having me. Hey it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 